Welcome listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware, we have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit, but frankly, we don't give a shit. Welcome to Just Keep Rolling, a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast. I'm Katie, and my co-host and soon-to-be hairdresser is Ellen. Katie's gonna let me dye her hair red and cut it off. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, I kind of feel like Ty and Clueless. Makeover! <laughs> oh my god. Y'all, what did I get myself into? It'll be fine. Better than fine. It'll be awesome. I can't wait. Oh lord. For now, let's just keep rolling into the rolling rehash. Last week, we covered the second half of Chapter 9, The Dark Mark, and the corresponding film scenes. The movie had zero fucks to give about hiding murder-muncher identities. We discovered when it comes to the safety of minors suspected of being evil, it's always shoot first, ask questions later where the ministry is concerned. Mr. Crouch seemed to have no idea who Harry's father was. Ludo Bagwin was more useless in an emergency situation than Lockhart. Mr. Diggory's wand goes tip-to-tip with Harry's but only creates more confusion. Mr. Weasley once again showed himself to be one of the most decent people in the entire series. And the lack of a passed-out house elf in the woods in the movie meant no one got to see the beginnings of SPEW or Crouch's Limp Winky. (laughs) Which, when you guys get to the bloopers, you'll understand what that reference is. Mm Mm-hmm. During episode 72, Murder Munchers, our Potter pondering was, what are your thoughts on how the movie just flat out showed us who conjured the dark mark, rather than giving us a scapegoat like Winky was in the book? Max said that he feels like they didn't want to deal with the house elf politics. He doubts they'd want the responsibility for the conversations that would start. Mike said he's not a fan, he just doesn't like change. But also not a fan because it took away a lot of the mystery and just had some dramatic irony, which can be good but not really in this case. He thinks a lot of it was just trying to give David Tennant more screen time, and as much as he loves him as the Doctor and in other stuff, the character here just didn't justify that much screen time. Or at least that much screen time in David Tennant shape. Oops, spoilers. It really felt like he was being shoehorned into the movie. Also, the secondary characters who were removed makes for a simpler, less compelling story, and he thinks the way it was shown in the movie versus the book really shapes the characters involved in different ways. Like, Crouch just looked insane slash scary, as opposed to also kind of racist, and Harry looks dumber than he actually is, which he finds is the case for the movies as a whole. Juliana loves the mystery of who conjured the dark mark during the book. The movie gave us a blatant answer for who did it. But they probably decided to give David Tennant, swoon, more screen time because he's a prominent actor. And she likes how Crouch also called Harry out for conjuring the mark without taking a second to consider who he was talking to. That panic and fear didn't really come across in the movie. Yeah. And I agree that it was all about giving David Tennant more screen time. Which, I mean, I'm not going to argue with normally, but... Right. (laughs) Wish they could have found a different way to work that in. Yeah. Dave said he never liked how in the movie where Crouch just runs up and says they caught Harry at the scene of the crime and accused him of making the dark mark for no reason at all. Then, when they say it couldn't have been him, he was just like, oh, okay, like it was no big deal. (laughs) He feels the same way about the book. 
It was all, oh, your wand is the one that made it. You're guilty. Then, oh, it was Winky. Sure, Harry not losing his wand in the movies was a big deal, but only because Winky had to have it to make the mark. But obviously, someone else could have made the mark with another wand, so it wasn't really that important overall. Especially when they say, oh, you're guilty. What? Oh, you're not guilty? Okay, never mind. Why even put it in the book or the movie? Quincy said, you know what? This is fucking fuck shit. Fuck! Ugh. Winky played an integral role in the Goblet of Fire. She took care of Barty Jr. and even was the reason Hitler Crouch was able to know Jr. Murder Muncher was there. She's the reason Hermione started Spew. And with that, we never got to see how much of a humanitarian Hermione was. Instead, we got some bullshit crowbarred line in Deathly Hollows Part 2 where Hermione looks at the chained up dragon and simply says, That's barbaric! But I'm getting ahead of myself. You know what, Newell? Next time you fist fuck me, just use me as a hand puppet. Cause God, pretentious asshole doesn't even have the decency to leave in the tiniest details. And what the fuck is that shit he has Junior Murder Muncher doing with his tongue? He looks more like a crackhead rather than a murderous lunatic. The dumbest shit I have ever laid eyes on. Buckle up, you guys, because Newell is about to crowbar a buttload of Abraxian shit and call it chocolate pudding. By the way, I'm going to rename the movies Harry Potter and the Angry Actors. Because, um, why the fuck is everyone so damn angry in this montage? The whole pace of this movie is fast and angry, and it's giving me anxiety. Fuck Newell! <laughs> I need to recover now. <laughs> right? Jackson said, just like Quincy, don't even get him started. This is just one of several important plot points that were left out of this movie. Winky being the scapegoat doesn't just leave who conjured the dark mark a mystery, but it's an important foreshadowing of the whole Barty Crouch Jr. plotline. Winky and the duty Crouch Sr. placed on her to watch over his son is an important part of the story. Kristen said it was one of the many things about the film that are just wrong. It lacks any finesse. I agree. Mm -hmm. Robert also had a rant saying, nope, nope, fuck you. You done fucked right the fuck up, Newell. How the fuck you gonna spoil your own fucking movie? He thinks for a director to film an adaptation, they need to read the whole series four times in their own language and in UK English, then give a two rules of parchment essay explaining that they know how to do it right. Allison thinks that it leaves out a huge part of the story. And it keeps us from seeing the house elves in the kitchens, which she thinks could have been some really cool movie scenes. Erin says she hates Goblet of Fire. The movie was horrible. She usually skips it when she watches the series. <laughs> and we can't relate to that at all, can no, we? No, <laughs> we've never skipped it. What? That was the one we totally skipped. We just got to deal with it for this season. <gasps> yeah, totally skipped it. <laughs> Not this time, though. This time we are going through chapter by chapter. Movie scene by movie scene, or lack thereof in this right. case. <laughs> and no angry rant shall be left unscreamed. No rant shall be left unranted. That was a lot of rants today, too. It was. But you know what? I loved them. I am here for the rants. I do, too. That was... Uh, clearly, people aren't happy that this was left out. <laughs> New all! Uh, New all! But again, as always, thank you so much for your responses. Thank you so much for your rants. Hopefully one of these days, though, we do get to do a Potter Pondering that makes everybody go, I loved it. It was amazing. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I'm not going to hold my breath. So <laughs> there's that. <laughs> Our trivia question last week was, what does the number 12 position on the Weasley clock say? The number 12 position on the clock says mortal peril. And congratulations goes to Max Nash and Mike Riley. What? According to Facebook, they both answered the question correctly at 8.02 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Technically, we think Max had the correct answer in first, but since Facebook doesn't show us the time down in the second, we have really no way of actually proving that. So we called it a tie. Yeah, I am like 98% positive that I saw Max's time say that his was answered three minutes ago when Mike still said two minutes, but then Mike's updated to say three minutes ago as well. Yeah. Like within seconds. So they were so close together and there's no way for me to check that for sure. So it is what it is. And they tied. They did. And they're just, man, keeping us on our toes and everybody else with this. Right? (laughs) Dave was again just minutes behind, but his internet seems to delay his actual access to the post. He needs some kind of upgrade to keep up with Mike and Max. Especially since Max literally reads the chapter before the episode drops and highlights possible trivia answers in preparation. Those boys are on it. They take this shit seriously. (laughs) Yeah. It's a little ridiculous, but I can't wait to see who gets it next week. For now, let's just keep rolling into Chapter 10, Mayhem at the Ministry, and the corresponding film scenes. Wait, there are no corresponding film scenes. Well, good night, everybody. No, don't go anywhere. You still have to help me do the episode. Oh, shit. All right. How about you read one half and I'll read the other half? Done. When I stop, you start. Deal. Chapter 10. Mayhem at the Ministry. Mr. Weasley wakes them up after a few hours and magically packs up the tents so they can leave as quickly as possible. They pass Mr. Roberts, who looks a bit dazed and wishes them a Merry Christmas. Mr. Weasley insists that he will be all right after a while. They just had to make him forget a really big thing. There's a big group of people waiting urgently for their port keys, and after waiting in line, they're able to take an old rubber tire back to Stoat's Head Hill before the sun has even risen, and walk back through Ottery St. Catchpool to the borough. They are greeted by an echoing cry of thank goodness as Mrs. Weasley comes running towards them in her bedroom slippers, clutching the Daily Prophet. She drops the paper when she hugs her husband, saying she's been so worried, and then surprises everyone by tightly hugging Fred and George. She's upset because she shouted at them before they left and was worried that the last thing she ever said to them was going to be about not getting enough OWLs. Arthur assures her that they're all fine and asks Bill to pick up the paper so he can see what it says. They all head into the kitchen where Hermione made Mrs. Weasley a cup of very strong tea that Mr. Weasley insisted on pouring a shot of Odgen's old fire whiskey into. He then scanned the newspaper and was upset, but not surprised to see a very negative piece about the ministry blunder that was written by Rita Skeeter. Percy is furious and begins ranting about how she has it in for the Ministry of Magic, saying last week she was criticizing them about wasting their time on cauldron thickness when they should be stamping out vampires. He continues the rant until Bill asks him to shut up, and Mr. Weasley comments that he's mentioned in the article. It isn't by name, just says that a ministry official alleged that no one had been hurt, but refused to give more information. 
She questions whether this will be enough to quash the rumors that several bodies were later removed from the woods. Mr. Weasley says that no one was hurt, and there will certainly be rumors now that she's printed that. He sighs and tells his wife that he will have to go into the office to help smooth things over, and Percy says he will go in too. Mrs. Weasley isn't exactly happy about this, since he's supposed to be on holiday, but Arthur insists. Harry distracts Mrs. Weasley by asking if Hedwig has arrived with a letter for him, and when she says there hasn't been any post, he gives a meaningful look to Ron and Hermione and asks if it's all right for him to dump his stuff in Ron's room. Ron says yeah, he will too, and asks Hermione as well. She says yes, and the three of them march up the stairs. The moment the door is closed, Harry explains about how he woke up with his scar hurting Saturday morning. Their reactions were almost exactly how he imagined them back on Privet Drive, with Hermione mentioning books and everyone from Albus Dumbledore to Madame Pomfrey, the Hogwarts nurse. Ron just looks dumbstruck and wonders if you-know-who was there. Harry explains that he was sure he wasn't on Privet Drive, but he had been having a dream about him and Wormtail plotting to kill someone. He avoided saying that they'd been plotting to kill him, since Hermione already looked so horrified. Ron says that it was just a dream, though, and Harry says he isn't sure since it's all so weird, with his scar hurting, the Death Eaters being on the march, and Voldemort's sign up in the sky again. Ron asks him not to say his name, but Harry just continues on, reminding them about what Professor Trelawney had said about the Dark Lord rising again. Hermione doesn't think he should listen to anything that fraud says, but Harry insists that this time was different, that he'd managed it because his servant was going back to him, and that night Wormtail escaped. They all fall silent until Hermione asks Harry why he asked about Hedwig. He explains that he had written a letter to Sirius, which seems to comfort Ron. Harry is concerned that he hasn't heard back yet, and Hermione points out that they don't know where he is. He could be in Africa somewhere, and Hedwig isn't going to manage that trip in a few days. Harry says he knows, but still feels worried, and Ron suggests playing Quidditch to distract him. Hermione doesn't think he'll want to, but Harry likes the idea and says he'll go get his firebolt. Neither Mr. Weasley nor Percy are present much over the next week. Percy says things are in absolute uproar because people keep sending howlers, which explode and keep setting fires on his desk. Ginny wonders why they are sending them, and he explains that they are complaining about the security at the World Cup and want compensation for their ruined property. Mrs. Weasley glances at her grandfather clock in the corner with nine golden hands and words instead of numbers that show where everyone is. Eight of the hands are pointing towards home, but the longest hand is still pointing to work. She sighs about how hard they are making him work, and Percy says that he feels like he's got to make up for his mistake at the match. He upsets his mom by declaring that it was a tad unwise for him to make a public statement without clearing it first, and she cuts him off to tell him not to blame his father for what that wretched Skeeter woman wrote. Bill points out that if Dad hadn't said anything, she would have said it was disgraceful that nobody from the ministry commented because she never makes anyone look good. While everyone occupies themselves in the living room, Mrs. Weasley then notices that Fred and George are huddled in the corner, whispering over a piece of parchment, and asks what they are up to. Fred tells her that it is homework, and George confirms this, saying they've left it a bit late. 
Their mother says they better not be writing out a new order form, and Fred gives her a very pained look, saying, Now, Mom, if the Hogwarts Express crashed tomorrow and George and I died, how would you feel to know that the last thing we ever heard from you was an unfounded accusation? Everyone laughs, even Mrs. Weasley. At this point, Mr. Weasley's clock hand moves to traveling and then lands on home. They hear him in the kitchen, and Mrs. Weasley hurries out of the room to greet him. A few moments later, he joins them in the living room, with his dinner on a tray, looking exhausted. He tells them that Rita Skeeter has been looking for more mess-ups to report and has found out about Bertha going missing. He says he's told Bagman he should just have sent someone to look for her ages ago. And Percy pipes up that Mr. Crouch has been saying that for weeks. Mr. Weasley irritably says that Crouch is lucky Rita hasn't found out about Winky, or all the headlines would be about the house elf caught with the wand that conjured the dark mark. Hermione says that Mr. Crouch is lucky no one at the Prophet knows how mean he is to elves, and Percy insists that a high-ranking ministry official like Crouch deserves unswerving obedience from his servants. Hermione interrupts him to say he means slave, because Mr. Crouch didn't pay Winky, and Mrs. Weasley sends them all upstairs to make sure they have all packed properly. They head back upstairs, and Pigwidgeon begins to excitedly twitter and zoom around his cage. Ron tosses Harry some owl treats to give him, and hopefully shut the little owl up. As Harry pushes the treats through the cage, he expresses his concern that Sirius hasn't responded, and it's been over a week, worried that he may have been caught. Ron assures him that it would be all over the Daily Prophet if they had, and points out the stuff his mum bought him from Diagon Alley. They both start to unwrap the shopping and packing when Harry hears Ron make a loud noise of disgust. He's holding up something that looks like a moldy, lacy, maroon velvet dress. Mrs. Weasley knocks and enters the room, and he tries to hand it to her, saying she's given him Ginny's dress. She explains that she hasn't. They're dress robes, for formal occasions, and Ron refuses to wear them, even after she tells him that his father's got some for smart parties. Ron insists that he will go naked before putting that on, and Mrs. Weasley appeals to Harry to show him that she got him some, too. Nervously, he opens the last parcel left and finds non-lacy bottle green robes that Mrs. Weasley says would bring out the colors of his eyes. Ron doesn't think those look too bad and wants to know why he can't have ones like that. She tells him that there weren't a lot of options because she had to buy his second hand, and Harry looks away, thinking about how he would willingly split the money in his vault with them, but knowing they would never take it. Ron again refuses to ever wear the dress robes, and his mother snaps for him to just go naked. She tells Harry to make sure to get a picture, because she could do with a laugh, and leaves the room, slamming the door. They hear a funny, spluttering noise from behind them, and wondering why everything he owns is rubbish, Ron has to go help Pigwidgeon, who is choking on an owl treat. So this chapter kind of falls back into some of the rehashing of the previous stories, mm-hmm. despite being farther along in the book. So some of the information left out makes sense since it's just a recap. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, nothing too important to the plot happens. So we're just going to discuss the chapter and talk about what we would have liked to see and whatnot. Because that's what we do. It's what we do. It is. It's what we're here for. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Personally, I wish we could have seen this, but I understand Yeah, why it was cut out. Like, it really was just filler. It was a hell of a jump, though. True. I mean, I know we haven't yet talked about what it jumps to, but... Yeah. I liked getting to see the natural flow of events. 
Yeah, it would have been nice to see Molly's reaction to them coming home. It would have been nice to see Molly. Well, <laughs> there's always that. It's always nice to see Molly. Right? I mean, that's just facts. <laughs> but in the chapter, they're still at the campsite mm. that was not destroyed. And they get a few hours of sleep and Mr. Weasley wakes everyone, packs the tents using magic because he's just completely given up trying to be a muggle. Well, yeah. Understandably, all things <laughs> considered. And as they're leaving the campsite, they pass Mr. Roberts, who looks quite dazed and wishes them a Merry Christmas. Which, I mean, we never met Mr. Roberts in the film to begin with, so that would have been weird. Right. But it would have been really fun to see. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. And honestly, I mean, they would have had to include the part where they're checked into their tents. Mm-hmm. But they could have easily incorporated the murder munchers actually fucking with muggles instead of just setting shit on fire. True. It would have actually been a little bit more magical to have them levitating muggles. Right, yeah. It's also more fucked up. Exactly. We wanted it to be more fucked up. I know. Come on. <laughs> this is the fucked up book. Why are things not more fucked up? I mean, they are fucked up in the movie, but just in different ways. <laughs> yes. New <laughs> 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 Mr. Weasley then explains that after a memory modification, people can be disoriented. And it was a big thing that they had to make him forget. Hence the Merry Christmas at the end of summer. Exactly. There is a large group of witches and wizards around Basil, the keeper of the port keys, clamoring to get away as fast as possible, which... I mean, I fucking would be too, so... Yeah, that's totally understandable. Yeah. I feel like that would be a riot in itself. Let me out! Let me out! <laughs> I feel like I would have hit, like, fuck this shit, I'm out, probably a good couple hours prior to this. So yeah, I definitely understand. I don't care if you don't have your apparition license yet, we're leaving now! Good time to learn, fuckers! You don't need that <laughs> finger, leave it behind! <laughs> It's how I taught you to swim, too. It just took you out in the middle of the lake and threw you in the water. Sink or swim time. <laughs> Apparator, wait. <laughs> time to nut up or shut up. <laughs> Even though you might leave your nuts behind. Who knows? Oh, dear. Oh, awkward. Anyway, shall we move on? <laughs> Mr. Weasley manages a quick discussion and gets them back to Stoatshead Hill before the sun has fully risen. The exhausted and mostly silent group has to walk. All the way back home. That sucks. Which just sucks. Yeah. But then they're greeted by a very relieved Mrs. Weasley when they reach the burrow. Which, again, I wish we could have seen this. I know. Ugh. She drops the copy of Daily Prophet that she's holding when she throws her arms around her husband. And Harry sees the headline, Scenes of Terror at the Quidditch World Cup, which is accompanied by a photograph of the dark mark. So that seems positive. Yeah. I'm sure she had no terrible thoughts going through her mind at all. Or all of the terrible thoughts going through her mind at once. Every single terrible thought. Dude, every single terrible thought went through my mind. Just being her for one second. Right. Damn. <laughs> I already have anxiety. I don't need that shit. No. To add to it. <laughs> but... Mrs. Weasley mutters that they are still alive and all right and wraps Fred and George in a tight hug, saying how she's been thinking of how she yelled at them before they left and what if you know who had gotten them and that bitching about the OWLs was the last thing she ever said to them. So traumatizing. I get that way anytime. <laughs> I always think about the last thing I said to a person. I'm like, oh man, that sucks for last words. 
<laughs> so I can understand her freaking out. Well, that and in general, just the idea of losing your sons would really suck. So, right. Well, yes, obviously. <laughs> but Mr. Weasley assures her that they're all right and they all gather in the kitchen. He adds a shot of fire whiskey to Mrs. Weasley's tea, which I love that little detail. I mean, it couldn't hurt, right? Let's get her a hot toddy. Yeah. (laughs) And then he scans the article with Percy reading over his shoulder. Mr. Weasley is not surprised that the article, which paints the ministry in a negative light, was written by Rita Skeeter. And Percy exclaims that she has it in for the Ministry of Magic. I wonder if that name is going to be brought up later. Hmm. Yeah, I was kind of disappointed that we didn't get the early introduction of it. Yeah. The foreshadowing. But we're pretty used to that, right? With the movies? Right? (laughs) When Mr. Weasley reaches the bottom of the article, he sees that he is mentioned, but not named. He reads aloud that a ministry official alleged that nobody had been hurt, and that there were rumors that several bodies had been removed from the woods an hour later. And he exclaims that there would certainly be rumors now that she had written that. Which, this is also a total clue to something that we're going to be talking more about much later on that never really made it into the movie anyway. Right. However, how did Rita Skeeter know that he spoke to some people? Yeah. How'd she know about that statement? Was she there? He didn't say anything about a reporter being there. No. And he would have known who she was. Right. He obviously did. He was just like, oh, God, that woman. Mm hmm. I feel like he would have seen her a mile away and just been like, not saying a word. Mm -mm." Keep my damn mouth shut. Yep. I'm shutting the fuck up. (laughs) Also, I fucking like rumors that several bodies were removed. Well, now there are. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Funny how that works. Right. Mr. Weasley says he'll have to go into the office, and Percy says he'll join him since Mr. Crouch will need all hands on deck. Mrs. Weasley says that it isn't his department and he's meant to be on holiday, but he insists that he made things worse and he has to go in. Did he make things worse, though? Right. What he said was taken out of context, and it wasn't the full story anyway. So, yeah, yeah, it's... It's very much tabloid reporting, and it's bullshit, and that sucks. It's total bullshit. Harry abruptly changes the subject and asks Mrs. Weasley if Hedwig has come back with a letter for him, and she tells Harry that there has been no post. Harry, Ron, and Hermione share a look and head up the stairs to Ron's room together. When they're alone, Harry finally tells them that he had woken up on Saturday with his scar hurting again. And I love that Harry's imaginings of how they would react were just basically spot on. Right? <laughs> like, he knows his friends. Called it. <laughs> Hermione starts making all kinds of suggestions of books and mentions everyone from Dumbledore to Madame Pomfrey. And Ron asks where you know who was because the last time Harry's scar was hurting, he had been at Hogwarts. Harry tells them he is sure he wasn't on Privet Drive and says that he had been dreaming about him and Wormtail and their plot to kill someone. Though he does not specify that that someone was him. I mean, probably the right call, if we're being honest. (laughs) Ron insists that it was just a nightmare, but Harry wonders if that's all it was, since three days after the dream and his scar hurting, the murder munchers show up and Voldemort's sign is in the sky again. 
Harry ignores when Ron says not to say his name and continues, asking if they remember what Professor Trelawney had said at the end of last year. Hermione's scared expression turns into one of incredulity, and she asks if he is really going to believe anything that old fraud says. Which, I mean, that is legitimately a fair question. She wasn't there. True. But Harry tells them again that Trelawney had gone into a real trance, and she said the Dark Lord would rise again with the help of his servant, and that same night Wormtail escaped. So this is kind of like that part of the chapter that it's just recap. Yeah. We already know this information. Mm-hmm. It would have been nice if they could have, like, maybe put Trelawney's voice over Harry, like, saying that line again to remind us of it for this movie, maybe? Something. Something. Like, that would have been nice as a refresher, I guess. I'm not sure how they would have worked it in since none of this was in the movie. That is true. But yeah, I mean, he reminds them that he was there, he saw it. It seemed like a real prediction. Yeah. And after a moment of silence, Hermione asks if Harry is expecting a letter. He tells them that he has written to Sirius about his scar hurting, and Ron's mood lightens, and he says that Sirius will probably know what to do. Which is why Harry wrote him a letter. Right? Good call, Harry. (laughs) He's disappointed that Sirius hasn't written back yet, but Hermione tells him that if he's in, like, Africa or somewhere far away, then Hedwig's journey would take more than just a few days. Which, that tracks, sure. Right. I mean, had the match gone on for five days, maybe he'd have had a letter, but... And he wouldn't have noticed that there wasn't a letter yet, either. Right. But obviously, this did not happen in the movie. We didn't see him write the letter. Mm -hmm. There's that. But he will write a letter, and we'll talk about that In the next episode, actually. Right. Once we finally get some fucking movie scenes, you know. (laughs) Right. (laughs) To lighten the mood, Ron suggests that they have a game of Quidditch in the orchard, and Hermione thinks Harry is worried and tired and won't want to play. But she leaves the room muttering under her breath when Harry says that he would like to play. Boys. Boys in their sports ball. The following week, Mr. Weasley and Percy are hardly around leaving for the ministry before everyone else gets up and coming home long after dinner each night. Percy must sometimes come home a little earlier than his father because in this particular scene, he's home and his dad isn't yet. But he's complaining about how busy he's been and that people keep sending howlers, which have been exploding on his desk, setting things on fire. How much do you want to bet most of them are just from Fred and George? (laughs) Data tracks. Right. Just to piss him off. (laughs) Ginny asks why they are sending howlers, and Percy tells her that they are mad about the security at the World Cup, and that they want compensation for their ruined property. I mean, I'd I'd be pissed off too, if I'm honest, so I can see that. Especially if you're going by the movie, because everything was just done. Yeah. It was well done, even. (laughs) Crispy. It was extra crispy. (laughs) One such claim from Mundungus Fletcher was for a 12-bedroom tent with an ensuite jacuzzi. Which, I mean, come on, Dung. At least keep it believable. Right? Like, you were sleeping under a cloak propped up on sticks. I mean, it could have been a really big cloak. I I don't know that there's enough magic in the world for something like that, but sure. Mrs. Weasley looks at the grandfather clock, which doesn't tell the time, but has a hand for each member of the Weasley family that says where each person is at any given time, such as home, school, work, traveling, lost, hospital, prison, and in the position where the number 12 would be on a normal clock, mortal peril. We 
which was our trivia question. Sure was. Mm-hmm. Mr. Weasley's hand is the only one not pointing at home. It's still in the work position. And when Mrs. Weasley says he hasn't had to work on the weekend since the days of you-know-who, Percy says that he needs to make up for his mistake at the World Cup and that he shouldn't have made a public statement without getting approval first. Mrs. Weasley yells at him not to blame his father for Rita Skeeter writing awful things. And Bill brings up that she never makes anyone look good and would have just written something else terrible about the ministry. And it's like we were saying before, did he really mess things up? Yeah. Like, it's not like he made a public statement. He reassured a few people. Yeah. That's it. I think this could be our Potter pondering. I like it. What do you guys think? We'll get your opinions on this whole topic. For sure. But this is a rainy day and everyone's occupied indoors with one thing or another. And Fred and George are in the corner quietly whispering over a piece of parchment. Mrs. Weasley is very suspicious of the twins and asks what they're doing. I mean, I feel like suspicious of the twins is just a constant thing for Molly. No? (laughs) Like, no matter what the twins are doing, you're suspicious of them. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's the norm. Yeah. It's when you're not suspicious of them that you should be worried. Right. So there's that. (laughs) But they tell Mrs. Weasley that they were working on homework that they left a bit late. Which, I mean, come on, Gretchen Forge. At least keep it believable. Right? Molly certainly doesn't believe them and wonders if they aren't thinking about reopening Weasley's Wizard Wheezes. Fred asks her how she would feel if the Hogwarts Express crashed tomorrow and he and George died and the last thing they heard from her was an unfounded accusation. And everyone laughs. See, those kind of shenanigans would just be so fun to have included. Because a lot of the stuff that they did have the Weasley twins do, they were kind of dicks and less charming about. Yeah, definitely. Like, they were still lovable in the movies, I think. Mm Mm-hmm. But we didn't get any of those, like, class clown type funny moments. I think they set them up really well in the first movie with the, honestly, woman, you call yourself a mother. And then they never really followed through with it up to four. Yeah. They were set up to be so funny and such a great comedic duo. And then it was just left and just nothing was ever done with it it was underutilized yes definitely but at this point mrs weasley notices that mr weasley's clock hand has moved to traveling and he'll be home shortly that has to be a really fast moving clock hand if he apparates you think it's gonna be like zip, zip, like right away it go- maybe it goes once he leaves the office yeah like the yeah. second he starts it's to like work out. traveling home maybe But when he arrives, he tells everyone that Rita Skeeter has been nosing around and has discovered that Bertha has gone missing. And he says that Bagman should have sent someone looking for her ages ago. Which Percy's just like, Mr. Crouch has been saying that for months. (laughs) Like, Well, of course, you know. But in the movie, there was no Bertha Jorkins. Mm -hmm. Like, that just wasn't a thing. Nope. Which kind of creates a bit of a hole that we'll get to. Not for the first time. Certainly not for the last. Am I right? Certainly not. (laughs) In response, Mr. Weasley says Crouch is lucky that Rita doesn't know about what happened with Winky. And this starts the argument between Percy and Hermione back up about the treatment of house elves. I feel like Mr. Weasley was like, why did I even... Why did I say that? What was I thinking? In what world did I think that was a good thing to say? (laughs) But Mrs. Weasley ends the discussion slash argument by telling everyone to go upstairs and make sure they've packed everything properly. Well done, Molly. (laughs) 
Good save. Mm-hmm. Harry and Ron make their way upstairs to Ron's room, where their trunks lay open and half-packed, and Pigwidgeon is zooming around in his cage. Ron tosses Harry a pack of treats to give him to try to shut him up. Good luck with that. I mean, that's what I do with my toddler, so right? I understand. I'm a little bummed we didn't get to see the hyperactive little owl. Oh, I agree. I would have loved to have seen Pigwidgeon. Pig. <laughs> right? And Ron's response to its name. Like, right? It just would have been awesome. <laughs> Hedwig's cage is still empty, and since it's been over a week, Harry's starting to worry that Sirius has been caught. And Ron's just like, nah, that'd be in the Daily Prophet. The Ministry would want to show that they'd caught someone. That does track. <laughs> right? And I love Ron's logic here. Mm-hmm. He didn't get enough of that in the movies. He was clever and funny at the same time. Yeah, he knew things. He's not completely just head in the clouds. He's not just the comedic relief. Yeah, not according to the movie. And that's kind of what the movie turned him into. They turned him into, like, adult. And that sucks, because Ron had so much more to offer, but... Not even had so much more to offer. In the books, he literally offered so much more. Yeah, <laughs> true. Very true. Newell. <laughs> he passes Harry a pile of books and supplies that Mrs. Weasley had bought for him in Diagon Alley, along with his socks and a bag of gold she had gotten out of his vault for him. He then holds up something that looks like a long maroon velvet dress with a moldy-looking lace collar. Wondering what it is. I am so mad that we didn't get to see this like this. Right? I'll say the way we eventually see it in the movie just can't even compare to this. It's nowhere near as satisfying. No, not at all. Because we get to see him directly interact with his mother about it. And mm -hmm. Mrs. Weasley knocks on the door and walks in the room and she's got more clean laundry for them. And Ron's just like, Mom, you've given me Ginny's new dress. And she's just like, no, those are dress robes for formal occasions. Whereas in the movie, well, we'll talk about that when we get there. Yeah, obviously, yes. Ron says he will go mad before he puts them on. She tells him that dress robes all look like that. His father even has some. Dress robes were on his list, and she got some for Harry, too. Harry nervously opens his last parcel. Understandably. And finds robes very similar to his school ones, but bottle green instead of black. And there's no lace. No moldy lace. No lace at all. <laughs> Laceless. Laceless. <laughs> Mrs. Weasley says that she thought they would bring out his eyes. And in this moment, I can't imagine why Ron would ever be jealous of Harry. No. Surely not. There's absolutely no reason to be jealous of your friend who has money and can have nice things. <sighs> Ron complains that Harry's aren't bad and asks why he couldn't have some like that as well. She tells him that there were limited options because she had to buy them secondhand. Harry thinks to himself that he would gladly give half of his money to the Weasleys, but they would never take it. Harry's just so sweet. He is. He's like, I never had money before. Like, I don't need all of it. Right. However, Ron would totally take it. <laughs> oh, well, would he? I mean... He got pretty weird about him buying the Omnioculars for him. That is true. And it's kind of a theme in this movie and book, so yeah. It was definitely a point of contention for him. Yeah, you might be right. I take it back. Ron says again that he won't ever wear the robes, and Mrs. Weasley snaps that he can just go naked then, and tells Harry to get her a picture because she could do with a good laugh. She leaves the room, slamming the door behind her, and I want to slam the door behind me because we did not get to see Molly's sass. Right? 
Ugh. It would have actually been really awesome. Oh my God, it would have been great. Right? I would have loved to see her tell Ron to go naked. It's just so funny. Seriously. <laughs> and nobody can do sass like a mom. Especially Molly Weasley. Like, come on. <laughs> I just imagine like in the second movie where she's like, you best hope I don't put buzz on your window, Ronald Weasley. Like, I'm just, yes. I'm hearing that. And I'm just. She could have done it. Oh. And then we would have gotten to see Julie Walters in the movie. Exactly. Which we didn't in this movie. And that's bullshit. That is bullshit. Newell. Newell. Moving on before I throw things. Right. <laughs> so she slams the door and they hear an odd sputtering sound behind them and they turn to find Pigwidgeon choking on an owl treat. Ron angrily wonders why everything he owns is rubbish as he crosses the room to unstick his little owl's beak. Aww. Poor Pigwidgeon. Poor Owlie. <laughs> Poor Ronnie. <laughs> but this is the end of the chapter. And as there weren't any movie scenes, there clearly aren't any actors to talk about. I mean, we talked about the ones that are missing. You know, Julie Walters. and Yeah. Some bullshit is what it is. But, no. <laughs> but let's just move on to the Potter Pondering. Oh, yeah. Our Potter Pondering this week is, Do you agree with Percy that Mr. Weasley actually did make the situation worse by giving the unofficial statement that he did after the riot? Or, do you think Bill is right that Rita Skeeter would have been nasty regardless? Find the post on our Facebook page and share your thoughts. We really look forward to reading them. This will bring us to our Sorting Hat story, which is from Mindy Perry. She is a Gryffindor. Woo! <laughs> Her wand is 11 inches ashwood with a phoenix feather core and hard flexibility, and her Patronus is a fox. She writes, My mom wouldn't let Harry Potter in the house. I was dog-sitting for friends who owned the first movie. Years later, after I moved away to attend seminary, yes, seminary, my roommate had all the movies, so I watched them and I was hooked. Now my parents just let me go with my obsession. I think I would have been a hat stall between Gryffindor and Ravenclaw. I absolutely love learning, reading, and museums, but I'm also a leader of trouble. That's my favorite new way to describe Gryffindors. Leader a of leader trouble. Of trouble. <laughs> I feel like I that just resonates with me so well. <laughs> yeah, it tracks for sure. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing your sorting hat story, Mindy. I'm really glad that your parents just let you obsess now. Mm-hmm. And if any of you other keepers out there listening would like us to read your sorting hat story on a future episode, you can email it to us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com. Let us know your house, wand, Patronus, how you got into Harry Potter, and anything else you might want to share with us. Or you can message it to us over social media. And now the moment that everybody really just skips right to, let's be honest, <laughs> the trivia question. This week's trivia question is, what was the supposed intruder at Mad-Eye Moody's house ambushed by? The prize for the first one who responds with the correct answer and the code word, hashtag one hell of a noise, will get a sticker. Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us through iTunes. If you don't have an Apple account, then you can write us a recommendation on our Facebook page. Make sure to email us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com to let us know you did, and we'll get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook at JKR Podcast and Twitter and Instagram at Just Keep Rolling. Following us on Podbean at justkeeprolling.podbean.com 
We'll get you the episode as early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question. You can also go to our website at JustKeepRolling.com to check out our Just Keep Rolling and Harry Potter related merchandise for sale. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, where we post our weekly podcast episodes, cooking show episodes, vlogs, bloopers, and other random videos. We've got another cooking show episode that is going to be going up in the next week. Woohoo! I'm excited for this one. Trifle. Mm-hmm. If you'd like to support us as a patron, you can sign up on Patreon.com slash JustKeepRolling. $2 and up a month will get you some awesome perks, like Just Keep Rolling swag, access to patron-only Facebook groups, chats, our Discord channel, virtual hangouts, and more. As always, any support you can give is greatly appreciated. And join us next week when we talk about Chapter 11, Aboard the Hogwarts Express, and the corresponding film scenes. Thanks for listening. We hope you hear us again. I'm Katie. I'm Ellen. Until the next time, just just keep keep rolling. rolling.